this week on the Divided Opinion podcast. Get into it, West. Yeah, let's go. He'd ran out of steam, and in the Euros, you saw it as well. He had a he had a poor Euros, and it looked like he didn't have anything left. And that was probably because of how many games he played last season. But if I was to predict a Premier League and a Champions League winner, I don't think they'll win both. But I think the favourite for both of them would be Chelsea at this stage. Let's see him when Van Dijk gets taken out of the team. And I think Wednesday night, despite him only just coming back from injury, it is a worry for Liverpool fans when Van Dijk isn't in there because he is just he's just a rock, isn't he? And he just organises everything. But from what I saw in that game, honestly, Ronald Koeman is clueless. <laughs> and the level of players <laughs> go after Ronald Koeman there. Yeah. I don't go the for it, mate, because I, I, don't, I don't think many people in football like him. Hello and welcome back to Season 2, Episode 4 of the Divided Opinion Podcast. I'm Joel, and as always, joined by Westy, who joins me from Cornwall today. Yeah. How are we doing, West? Yeah, all good here, thank you. Having a nice holiday? Yeah, yeah, another one under yeah. the bank. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're doing well this summer, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, apologies there wasn't an episode last week, um, as I was actually on holiday. Um, before as well, because the international break, there wasn't too much we missed out on. Um so yeah, in today's episode, we'll be discussing the opening fixtures of the, this season's Champions League, um, some Premier League chat, debating the proposed plans for a World Cup every two years, and we'll finish on some predictions for this week's Premier League games, and we've got a few other things on the running order that we can go through. Should we get into it, West? Yeah, let's go. Yeah? Where do you want to start? Should we start with... We'll start with Man United, we'll get it out of the way. <laughs> Obviously, we don't want to stay on it too long, because we have a habit of sticking on United quite a lot. Um, yeah. do, you, do you want to get us started? Obviously, United slip up away from home at Young Boys. Yeah. One uh, sack of red card. Yeah. Um, it was a disappointing one, obviously. Um, fully expected to go there and pick up the three points. I think everyone did, but, you know, it's. I feel like, obviously, other factors, obviously, the, the red card didn't help at all, but I feel like a red card in itself can't be an excuse considering the um, the quality of the two teams, like the stark yeah. contrast. I mean, just got to look at Chelsea when they got a red card, didn't they, against Liverpool? Yeah, they, well, they, exactly. They they hung on for a whole whole half against one of the best teams in the world, and United just absolutely crumbled against a a, a team that were far less who yeah just. You almost gave in to them when you didn't need to. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You like you there was there was no reason for you to obviously got you've gone to a red card and the, the said thing to do is to, to sit back and but you're Manchester United, like and you're playing against young boys. You, you even with Chelsea, they sat back a bit against that Liverpool side, but they still kind of what was Oli even trying to do? The obviously bringing Ronaldo off as well. I mean, Cristiano Ronaldo in a game like that, we've just seen for Portugal how they spend the whole game 
the worst team against that was it Republic of Ireland, wasn't it? Yeah. And then Ronaldo pops up, scores two, and where they win the game. I mean, in a game like that, you, why would you take Ronaldo off? What was Oli thinking there? Yeah, it's it's a weird one, really. It just seemed like like Solskjaer just immediately put the brakes on and went to park the bus. And I reckon if he hadn't parked the bus and he maybe stayed with the same, obviously a couple of substitutions, you, you change the system. Um, as you would, as any team would after they're going down to ten men, but you know he could have just kept the ball and they could have easily gone and scored another one or two goals and could have killed the game off probably before the hour. But they just sat back and invited pressure, and he, even after they went, it went to one-one. I know the the home crowds behind the um, behind young boys and the everyone's up for it, and once you get that first goal, you feel like you can get another. But the team, the the quality and let the the difference in quality between the two teams is was so massive, and it should never happen. That and like you say, the substitutions were just bizarre. With but yeah, at one point you had literally. I, I mean, I actually didn't watch the game. I watched the last twenty minutes of it. But from when I saw it, it looked like Lingard was the only outlet, and even he was sitting back in a bit in yeah. like the attacking midfield role. I mean, it's just basic tactics, isn't it? That you just put someone up front, someone up front to just push them back a bit. I mean, you had young boys playing like they were prime Man City. Yeah, well, I was. I just couldn't understand. Yeah, when you looked at the setup when they had the ball, Lingard was playing as as a lone striker. And if you're going to pick out of two players in that situation where you're a bit under the cost to play as a lone striker, why would you go for Lingard over Ronaldo? It's just, it, it's, it was just it's, bizarre. It's, do you find with do you think with Ollie because he's now there's obviously people have called him out for for his substitutions and the lack of resting important players and being over over reliant on so certain players. I think now with that Ronaldo, was it a kind of a thing of him saying like, Oh, I'm not gonna be all reliant on Ronaldo. I can bring him off and I will bring him off. But by doing so, he made completely the wrong decision. Yeah. I don't know. It it's some they say it's almost defies belief some of Solskjaer's decisions. I feel a lot better as a United fan. You just feel like you're smashing your head against a brick wall sometimes. And it sometimes feels like some of the decisions that you see a lot of the fans talking about the decisions they'd make or who they'd play and what have you. It almost seems so simple, but Solskjaer just doesn't do those simple things. He seems to like to almost go against the what the fans would expect of him. Do you think that is a is a thing? or? Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure. It could be a thing and maybe he has, he has picked up noises from um, outside people just saying these things obviously about Bruno I think you mentioned it quite a lot last season where it was fairly obvious within the last two or three months that Bruno just been ran into the ground hadn't he and he'd, or he'd run out of steam and in the Euros you saw it as well he had a he had a poor yeah. Euros and looked like he didn't have anything left and that was probably because yeah. of how many games he played last season but I don't know it's, it's a strange one because Obviously, you have to match people like Ronaldo. Obviously, you're always going to get the the people saying you've got to manage him. He's 36, obviously. But I think in a game like that, you just you just bite the bullet, don't you? And you leave him on. And Ronaldo yeah. wouldn't have been saying to Ollie that he wanted he needed to or wanted to come off, would he? On that, that game. And I mean, one thing I saw, and I know you can take it both ways, and there's positives in it, but if I'm Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer and he's there, there's I saw a photo on the bench. He's there, bellowing out instructions. And you've got Bruno and Ronaldo behind him, also just shouting instructions. 
yeah. for me if I was only going to Solskjaer I would not like that mm. and there definitely is a, a, a debate to be had around the impact Ronaldo has on someone like Solskjaer and whether he does undermine his well yeah undermines his position and you just I don't know I, I, it's going to be a weird dynamic that I, I think yeah because really, like Oli, if Oli and Ronaldo, they played in the dressing room together, and you know Ronaldo would have been the more superior figure and the more, do you know what I mean? But yeah. it's certainly going to be an interesting dynamic. That yeah, you'll see how it plans out. Obviously, I don't think any, I don't think Ronaldo will be expecting to find himself on the bench too much anyway this season. No. Um, but yeah, obviously, you can look at it from two, two approaches. Obviously, one way it's just Ronaldo's just got such a big will to win and he wants to help the team in any way he can but sometimes it can come across as a as a negative effect because like you say the, at the end of the day the manager's the manager and no player really should be bigger than the manager and it's at the end of the day it's his calls it's his decisions it's his team so when you bring someone off you don't you, know, you don't really want someone bellowing out different instructions to what you're trying to get across from behind yeah, and it is tough for Ronaldo as well because he would have seen him as his equal and they've played together Yeah, and it's tough now for Ronaldo he's, he, the last time he was part of a team with Solskjaer they were teammates Yeah, and now he's come back and now he's got to take instructions from Solskjaer and I'm sure that's weird for Solskjaer as well Yeah, yeah. giving out instructions and telling a guy of Ronaldo's ilk and Ronaldo's pedigree what to do when yeah, yeah. but I just think, in general, I just think the game—it was just a strange, strange game. And obviously, I'm not—I'm not going to overreact too much about it. I saw plenty of overreactions on the on Twitter and stuff like that. And you know, it's just typical football fans, isn't it? Like, yeah. Obviously, if this I happens think... a lot this season, then questions will start need to be asked. But at the end of the day, it was a few factors that went against us. But I still don't think it was. It, it, the factors should have contributed anywhere near as much as they did and United should still have come away from that game with a minimum of a point and I think even coming away with a point I still would have been pretty disappointed because at the end of the day out of the three teams in the group alongside us Villarreal and Atalanta you'd be looking at the young boys games before you went into the tournament thinking they're the six points we definitely need to pick up because the other two teams are dangerous aren't they and I might be, rem- I think I'm, I might be like merging all into one. Um, but last season, am I right in saying, was it PSG that you beat, or you beat a big team in your first game? Yeah, PSG away, yeah. So you're going to be beat PSG, and then you didn't pro- end up progressing. Yeah, well, we wouldn't beat. So yeah, you just lost to young boys. Yeah, we won the <laughs> first, first game. three games of the of the group, and we all, and we beat PSG away, and then the second game we we battered Leipzig five 0 at home, and still didn't and qualify. It's just, Losing that game to young boys as well is just this this pressure we were talking about before that Solskjaer's under now. I mean, it's on a different scale to what it was before. Yeah. And the he, he's just ramped that pressure up. A player like Cristiano Ronaldo and the other players that you've got irrelevant of Cristiano Ronaldo, players like Rafael Varane, Jadon Sancho, they expect to be playing Champions League football. Yeah. And if they get knocked out, in the group stage, I know there's a long way to go, and I'm not overreacting, but it's big pressure, and it doesn't help that that uh, that first result. It's not what Ollie needs. No, it's just because he's, yeah, and it's almost that that bubble you were in of Ronaldo joining. You could have done with it lasting for a few more games. Yeah, well, and hopefully it's just popped. It's burst. Yeah, well, hopefully he comes back and um, 
hopefully it just it's just a blip and we can get on and try and get a good result at West Ham at the weekend and move on from there. But obviously it's now made the next the the rest of the Champions League games in our group even more yeah, like you said, there's more pressure on them now because we, we can't really afford to slip up much more again. You know if we'd have beaten young boys you'd have probably said, Yeah, we can probably get away with maybe a, a cup a draw or two against Atalanta and Villarreal but now it's the pressure's on. Just lastly before we move on from United Jaden Sancho, obviously again I don't want to jump the gun and it's gonna take time for any player to to adapt and just because of the money people see the money and they expect him to hit the ground running but obviously he hasn't made the start that he possibly probably dreamed of as a United fan when do you start to lose patience and start to expect something he's still at a stage now where it's still it's taking time let's let him bed in yeah how do you assess Sancho's start yeah well I still don't see him as being 100% fit which isn't which is a bit of an issue. I'm not sure whether that's just down to sort of maybe he's picked up an injury. I heard he had a little bit of an illness before he came back to United, but he's had a few games now to get up and running, and it's not really worked. Obviously, he was the guy that he was the the full guy on Tuesday who got took off in the first half when the red card happened, and did feel sorry for him, but he wasn't in the game at all. And obviously, someone's got a someone's got a be that guy and it's not going to be yeah. Ronaldo is it no. so um, that's yeah that was just an unfortunate yeah, one yeah it's just an unfortunate one and um, I don't know I think I personally think in a few games he'll be fine and he'll get flying again but um, you know yeah you've got to give him time but it, it has been he has been a little bit disappointing so far in the way he's like, just it, it's not it's, it's not like he's not He's not like he's look. He's almost looked off the pace though, hasn't he? Like yeah. sort of when he's on the ball and he's just looked sort of a step step or two behind everyone else. And it's but a bit. I w- do find as I think we find as well with that whole Sancho signing. If you'd signed him the year prior to when you was when you did, he was poised to be that the big big money signing poster boy. You saw when you did sign him. And I know it was still there was still a lot of excitement around United, but it did have the feeling of they were going always going to sign Sancho. Maybe they should have signed him last season, and it, it was almost a little bit of a damp squid. So then, but it was still still a big signing, or what have you? Yeah. Then you bought in Rafael Varane, and although it's less money, I think United fans were more overall were more excited about the signing of Varane and understood that you needed a player like Varane more than a Sancho. Not yeah. taking anything away from the the level that Sancho's at, and then even to compile that even more, you bring in Cristiano Ronaldo, and Jadon Sancho. These footballers, they're all the same. Like they, their egos are a massive part of it, and he would have had in his head being the the poster boy and going to United and being this colossal signing, and that has been outshone by two other players, and I just think maybe in his head at the minute it's just not kind of gone how he would have dreamt it and that'll come round and I think in the end it could end up being a positive because it gives him more of an opportunity to just do his work quietly with less eyes on him yeah. um, but but it is an interesting because I'm sure that has had an effect on him yeah. it hasn't gone gone the way yeah, United fans or he would have hoped yeah yeah definitely I agree and um, like you said the Ronaldo signing as much as it might have changed what he thought his views of what he thought he would be when he signed 
and but we both discussed it. I'm sure we did, and um, we said that we yeah, it will probably have a positive effect because he'll be able to go about his business and with less pressure on him. But now it's in the modern modern world, and with everything we've got, Instagram, Twitter. Now he's had a three or four games where he's been pretty poor. He's put the pressure massively back on himself, hasn't he? Now because the spotlight's on him. If he'd have come into these few games and Ronaldo's been there. And, he was also playing well and contributing. He would have still been getting praise, but it would still be overshadowed by what, say, Ronaldo's doing. But now other t- other players are performing, Greenwood, Ronaldo, um, Pogba, and the level, obviously, he's not at that level yet. And now the pressure's on him because people are starting to have realised that he's had, a, he's had a poor start. And now... And- like you said about Greenwood, he Greenwood's found consistency way earlier than I think anyone could have could have hoped for. Yeah. Um, he seems to have just found that level, and I, I obviously we knew that the talent was there. But like any player, I think even if you look at a Rashford, etc., that kind of player where the the talent's there, but it's finding that consistent level, consistent productivity of goals, and Green Centric Greenwood has done that. Um, yeah. But yeah. Uh, should we move on to a another English club? Yeah, let's Europe, go, yeah. S- slightly more successful, obviously retaining their their well, they're trying to retain their Champions League from last season. I didn't actually watch the game. I don't know if you did. Chelsea versus Zenit. I didn't. I watched the highlights. I was. Uh, yeah, I saw the highlights, but we can still talk about it. Yeah. Um. Obviously, I think they made a, a strong start, and the main thing I want to focus on really is just Romelu Lukaku. Obviously, Lukaku on the score sheet. In terms of his addition, I mean, the way I'm seeing it now, seeing the way Chelsea have started, and it is early days, but if I was to predict a Premier League and a Champions League winner, I don't think they'll win both. But I think the favourite for both of them would be Chelsea at this stage. And in my opinion, bringing in Romelu Lukaku, it's it's just, if you, for Chelsea, I'd put their closest rivals, and obviously United have had a strong start to the season, aside from the Champions League. And Liverpool have looked somewhat back to their best as well, but I think they've still got a long way to go. But Chelsea and City, I'd say, are the two, for me, the two best teams in the world at the, at this current point, if you just look at the depth of their squad. And and obviously, but this was last season I'm talking about. And then now this season, you've seen Chelsea have brought in Romelu Lukaku and City brought in Jack Grealish, who... I think they already had players that kind of did a similar role to him. I'm not saying Jack Grealish is a brilliant player, but I do think City should have brought in a striker. Do you think Lukaku to Chelsea is just that that one last thing that separates Chelsea from the rest of, of the pack, really? Oh, he's, he's obviously made a, a, a fantastic start and um, no one can deny the, 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 the obvious improvement. He's uh he's had in the last two yeah, years. Yeah, well actually, well let's start talk about his time at what? How did you assess his time at Manchester United? Because obviously you can come from experience there. Yeah, well, well when he when he signed for United, I, I think like all the United fans, we, we we were all buzzing because he'd been really good at Everton. Obviously, there was always that stigma around him of he can't really hold the ball up. His his hold up play is not not amazing. His touch isn't brilliant, but. When when he signed for United, we didn't really have since Van Persie left. We didn't have a striker that that would score goals regularly. And when he came in, and 
for the first six, seven months, he was brilliant. He scored loads of goals for United. And even though he had his flaws, um, he, I still really liked him. And he was, he was, at the end of the day, he was putting the ball in the back and then that's all you want. Obviously, I think he then went to the World Cup. And I think he even said himself, he he came back from the World Cup and he looked really heavy. And he, I think he changed his diet to suit the international style of football. So he put another two or three kilos on, I think. And he came back to United that second season, obviously. What happened with Mourinho and stuff? Because he got sacked a few months into it. United were a mess, so you can't... Um, there's no blame attached to him at all. He had a bad season, but the whole United team had a bad season. And obviously, he, he, um, that second season, it just didn't click. He was pushed out to the right and left wing a lot, which he's not a, he's not a winger. He's never been a winger, has he? And, um, yeah. And when he did leave, I think there wasn't really many United fans that were... By the time he'd left, there, there wasn't anyone that was really that fussed. It was sort of... it was, And... Him leaving United was best for all parties. He just didn't fit into United, and that's not saying. But look at him now at Chelsea; like he fits into their system perfectly, Tuchel system. But it, the, he just it, needs a he needs a, a lot of chances created for him, doesn't he? Nick, but I think United, that was that at United that was more of a that was definitely more of a um, I don't know what what word to use, but that was definitely what what we all thought he needed ten chances to score one. But yeah, since he's he been does, to... he is a he is a kind of have have two chances score one kind of striker, isn't he? He's not a hundred percent completion. But obviously, since he's been in Italy, and I think he'll, I think he said himself like the guidance of Conte and stuff. He's Conte has somehow turned him into a, a world class consistent striker, and he showed it for Belgium. Obviously, he's, is he Belgium's top goal scorer or something like that? Yeah, he already, is all time. and he's just. Um, He's massively improved, and you can see at Chelsea now he's a completely different player to when he was at United. I mean, even you could even class him now as everything that we people used to mock him for, holding the ball up, his touch. He's probably one of the best in the league now, holding the ball up and rolling players, and he's just Absolutely. brought so much more tools to his game. To, and um, I think with with Lukaku, it's just another example of. We're so reactionary and the football fans nowadays with social media, you literally have one bad game or you have even a bad season. I mean, how many players? You'd really struggle to find players in history that haven't had a bad season or the odd bad season. And for a player like uh, a player like Lukaku, there's so many variables. He's not the kind of player that's going to be able like performing every single team he's a player that relies on what's around him he relies on the amount of chances being created yeah. and we just write these players off don't we yeah and um, people well, i wouldn't say we do it but i think football fans in general do it too much nowadays anyway yeah you have one bad performance and you're all of a sudden you cast away and everyone talks about how much of a waste of money you are and yeah. what have you yeah. But you're dead right yeah it's just it's just something in the in the nature of the modern day football fan isn't it and yeah. obviously, I'm not going back to United here, but with it's with Sancho as well. Like he's a young lad and plays a few games, and he plays badly. And he, last year, every team in the world, all the fans would have wanted Sancho to play for their club, and now he's a Absolutely. flop. He's this and that. And I'm sure Lukaku, if he goes two or three games without scoring for Chelsea, he'll be back to the old narrative as of he can't do it in the big games. He he's exactly. a, you know what I mean. It's just I've had it. I've had it for years with Jamie Vardy because. 
and obviously as a Leicester fan, it's different. You obviously have you are cynical as a football fan, and there has always been this debate around Jamie Vardy every season of like, oh, is is he now past it? Is he past it? And we had it ever since the season we won the league. I, even after, straight after we won the league, everyone was like, oh, no, I reckon he was a one-season wonder or oh, he's past it now. And then each season, and the amount of fans I've had say to me and the amount of friends and stuff that say, oh, Vardy's past it, even Leicester fans do it. They tweet, he has one bad game, mm. oh, Vardy's past it, he's nowhere near what he was. His legs have And gone. then he goes on another 10-goal like, streak. Yeah. And, yeah, we're just too, people are just too quick to judge yeah. nowadays in football. But on Lukaku... Yeah. I really like Lukaku and I'm happy. Obviously, it's not great being a United fan seeing someone, another rival, looking really strong. But yeah. I'm happy to see him flourishing because he got yeah. a, he got a hard time from United fans. He got a hard time in general from... Eng- I think English media just absolutely battered him the first time around. And he's obviously come back to England knowing that he's got a point to prove. And obviously, he started off in great fashion, scoring goals and... But I still want to wait to judge Lukaku properly after he's yeah. played more of the big teams in the big games because obviously it was one game, but he's done well against Villa, he's done well against Zenit, he's played well but Arsenal against Liverpool. He didn't particularly influence the game that much, and looked like Matip and Van Dijk sort of got got hold of him pretty easily. So it'd be interesting to see how because that was always his narrative. I think there was a stat when he was at United how in the first year at United he didn't score a single goal in a, against a top six team Yeah, so it'll I be interesting to see how how much he has improved in general or how much has he improved against sort of lower opposition but I think he's definitely a massively different player and he'll do some damage to a lot of the top teams when they play in this season I think absolutely but you look at him now though I think he he looks massively different I think He's obviously gone away and studied his diet, studied his own body and what he needs and what he doesn't need and how to improve his recovery. And he just looks he looks so much leaner, I think, and quicker than he did when he was, when he was at United. And I think that's had a massive ma- massive effect because he looks so much faster and he was still always going to be really strong. But he was almost a bit like a bulldozer, wasn't he, at United, where he, he, was a, he was a little bit clumsy. That was the idea of him. And he just sort of bullied his way through players. But Chelsea, he looks really sort of fit, lean, and just an af- you, just a proper athlete now. You can't discount as well what confidence does to a player. I mean, you, if you're getting, you're getting, you're taking, you're taking flack from all angles, the media, your own fans, other fans. It's going to affect your confidence. And yeah, he's he's just a player that's rejuvenated. He's gone abroad. Uh, he's scored goals. He's gone, and he's just he's just found that love again for the game. I think, and it is good to see, and because we we need high high level players like Romelu Lukaku, because fo- they make football. I don't think we've got enough of them anymore. I don't think there are enough world class players for us to enjoy, and having Lukaku back to his best, yeah, it can only be good for football in general. Should we move on to Liverpool? So obviously beating. AC Milan three two. Obviously going ahead and then coming back from, back from behind. It it's an AC Milan that have have started well this season. They've, I think they've unbeaten or they've won every game in Serie A, uh, and they're they're sort of getting back to their best. So it is a good result for Liverpool. 
Obviously, Henderson scored a nice goal on his return. But again, Liverpool, they looked... Van Dijk didn't start. I don't think it was any injury issues. It was just a rest. And they looked unorganised without him. And another I thing I want, want to talk about, really, is, is Joe Gomez. Because seen for a couple of... Well, for both of Milan's goals, he, him and Matip... And I, I kind of expect it from Matip. We know... I think you kind of know what his level is, and we the, we never thought Matip was going to be a world class centre back. But Joe Gomez, there was a lot of a lot of not pressure, but a lot of expectancy on Joe Gomez and what he was going to be. And I thought he was potentially going to be a future England starter. I mean, now I can't see him getting anywhere near the team ahead of I can't see him ahead of Maguire or Stones. What do you think's happened with Joe Gomez? Do you think he's just hit his ceiling? Because he doesn't seem to have progressed, or there's no obvious improvement over the last, I'd say the last three or four years. And I know he has had he has had injuries, but yeah, do you think he's just hit his ceiling now? I think it'd probably be too soon to say he's hit his ceiling because, yeah, like you said, over the last eighteen months or so, he's he's barely played any football as he? he's been injured so much. Um, obviously, that season where Liverpool won the Champions League in the league, obviously the two consecutive seasons they um. Him and Van Dijk were brilliant, but you, with a player like Van Dijk, it's very easy to make someone else look very good, isn't it? That's that's the sort of effect he has on players, and that's what the best defense. That's what any of the best players do. They make other players look better, and um, yeah, obviously they were great that season together. But yeah, I think I, you'd like to think he'd get a, maybe a whole season under his belt of being fit and playing week in week out before you can start to judge whether he has a hit ceiling or or he has room to improve I think he's a good good defender but like like, like you I've never been a massive fan of him I've always thought he's had a mistake in there I've always thought let's see him when Van Dyke gets taken out of the team and I think Wednesday night despite him only just coming back from injury it is a worry for Liverpool fans when Van Dijk isn't in there because he is just he's just a rock, isn't he? And he just organises everything. Like I think it was their first goal, Rebic. Who yeah, was, it, was, it, was it? Who was it playing? Was it Robertson or or who was playing him on side? I think it was Robertson and Matip got pulled out of position as well, and Gomez kind of just sat in. The, the, yeah. They were both just completely out of sync. Yeah. and that's what I mean they're the sort of moments that you don't see when Van Dijk's in the team because his organisation skills and getting the team up like Liverpool don't concede them goals normally you'd like to see from a Liverpool fan's perspective you'd like to see more of Van Dijk improving these players rather than them players becoming reliant on Van Dijk because that yeah. seems to have what have ha- has happened you haven't we see these players that Van Dijk's partnered, Lovren, Gomez, Matip. None of them have... We've not seen any real improvement from any of them. And even the likes of Nat Phillips, people like that, they've trained with him day in, day out. It seems Van Dijk, obviously, you can't. there's not much room for improvement for Van Dijk. And he's a pretty faultless player. But you would like to see those players... I don't know what that is. I think you'd, you'd have to be in training or see maybe it's to do with the way Van Dijk is or I don't know it's it's weird I it's almost you'd think it would help improve these players but like I said they seem to have become over reliant on them which is in turn detracted from them as an overall player yeah he's definitely you've definitely got a point yeah I actually quite like Matip I think he's 
I think he is a really solid defender. Obviously, he's prone to a mistake, but it's very hard to find a defender that isn't prone to a mistake. Um, but yeah, it is it is alarming the weaknesses in that in that defensive unit when Van Dijk's out of the squad. Obviously, we saw it last season, but I think it was more of a collective. There was so many factors last year with obviously Fabinho, all the midfielders being out. Robertson was out for a long time. Obviously, chopping, changing the keepers. Um, so it was hard to judge really last season on one sort of like definite cause. But obviously, now I got... posted, I Go posted on. an article the other day about Thiago, and obviously it's a big season for him and how the the instability of Liverpool's team last season and how that impacted his first season. Mm-hmm. How would you assess Thiago? He's, he's, I think he's made a solid start to the season. Do you yeah. think? Yeah, well, can you see him having a good season? Yeah, well, no. Um, I think when remember when he came on for his debut last year, when I think it was probably the game at Chelsea. I think they won two 0 and they just dispatched Chelsea with ease. Ease, sorry. And um, it was one of them ones where you thought, yeah, here you go, Liverpool are going to go and do the same, obviously, as what they did the season before and retain the title. But um, I think that was the game before the Everton game, obviously, when that Van Dijk injury happened. And he looked brilliant against Chelsea, just sort of pulled the strings. And you could see the effect it had when there was someone like Fabinho and Van Dijk behind him. It gives him that licence to play and pick off uh, defences. And I think you saw a bit of that as well against Leeds at the weekend. I thought he was really good when he had that that stability around him. Because he is a luxury player, there's no doubt. You can't get away from that. He is a luxury player and he, he can only play in certain systems. But I think now Liverpool have got a pretty much full-strength side-back. I think we'll probably see the best of Thiago this season because he's going to have that licence to play, like I said, and go about his own business without having to do too much other work. Sort of that he was, he was. People were relying on him doing the defensive work last season when Fabinho wasn't yeah, there, I, Henderson, and I, it's just not his game. I think a lot of people thought that. And we obviously seen him play there last season in the number six role, holding midfield where Fabinho plays. And I think I was one of those people as well that thought that was where he played. And it was quite disconcerting seeing how he was doing in that CDM role. And because he, he wasn't, he was clearly wasn't suited to it, especially not in the Premier League. The physicality and his tackling at times is just rash. <laughs> and but yeah, having him in that on the on the left hand side of the midfield. And he's obviously next to Fabinho and Jordan Henderson, who do so much running, and they can allow for him to, to to be that luxury player. And yeah, if you want to check out that full article that I put up, obviously at Divided Opinion on Instagram, we post daily articles. Um, but yeah, go over and check that out. Uh, in Liverpool, do you think do you see them sustaining a a, a charge for the, the Champions League, or do you think there's still a little bit more work that needs to be done? Um, no. If I was a Liverpool fan, I wouldn't particularly be too worried about anything this season. I think, I think they look strong. I think the game against Leeds at the weekend was was a stark reminder of what they are when they when they get the ball rolling and everyone have got a full side out. My only worry for Liverpool is is their strength and depth. I think it's it's no secret that when out them top four teams. They probably are the weakest when it comes to strength, strength and depth. I mean, you just look at their bench. I mean, even Firmino now he's picked up a little injury. Like Divock Origi, he's not really the player that you want 
being your second choice striker. If Mane or Salah get injured, like midfielders have not really got any other world class replacements, have they? In on the bench, and even more so in defence, like uh, full back and stuff. So it is going to be interesting if they can keep a fully fit starting eleven for the full season. I think they'll run most teams close in every competition, and I think they could definitely win the Premier League without a doubt. And they've but, got experience in both, haven't they? Yeah, they've got experience in Champions League and the Premier League. But with so many games, 60-odd games in a season, it's going to be very difficult for them to keep that full starting eleven fit for the whole year and be able to play every game. So I think that's where that, that'll be their downfall this season. Um, so obviously, yeah, we saw Barcelona at home to Bayern Munich and the, kind of, the game went exactly how we would have expected it to. Bayern just overrunning Barcelona. Uh, I think it sounds simplistic to say, but they're just physically, they're just more superior. Um, and we saw the Barcelona, the way they set up, and this whole narrative recently has been around Barcelona and how hard of a job Ronald Koeman's got and how we should all feel sorry for Ronald Koeman. But from what I saw in that game, honestly, Ronald Koeman is clueless. <laughs> and the level of players... I'm gonna go after Ronald Koeman here. I don't go Level, for it, mate, because I, I don't. I don't think many people in football like him. <laughs> but honestly, like you look at the you look at the way they set up, and I'm not disputing that Barca have probably got the the worst squad that I've ever seen in my lifetime as a Barcelona team. But they've still you go through their team. So yeah, Barca had a, a young centre back partner in Gerard Pique who did, who looked excellent. Eric Garcia actually impressed me. Like, I thought he looks a lot better than he did, than I thought he would look. Then they also had Busquets, Frankie De Jong, and Pedri. I mean, you don't even need to say any more about them. They're all, they're all world class midfielders in their own right. You've also then you've still got the likes of Coutinho on the bench that he doesn't want to use. You've you've obviously got uh, Memphis Depay, and obviously there's all, all this banter around Luke De Jong and that signing, and obviously he replaced Messi's dressing room, like his his uh, locker. He's now got Messi's locker, um, and I'm not disputing that Barca fans shouldn't be unhappy of their squad and what have you, and I do feel sorry for them. But when you watch the way they set up, and again I wrote an article about this as well. But so obviously you didn't watch the game, West, but. Basically, every time that Barca got the ball, it was they. What were they? For starters, they had five at the back. They had two wing, wing backs, Sergio Roberto and or Alba, who I imagine um, Kuman wanted to get forward, but they didn't seem to have any kind of incl- inc- any inclination to go forward, and they just sat back, and it was literally just a back five, and then the three in midfield. I mean, I don't know what he was thinking with. Pedri, De Jong and Busquets obviously all world class but they're all very similar players yeah. when they're up against the likes of Goretzka and these powerful midfielders they're going to have no chance and they in turn there's no runners there so they in turn just ended up sitting as a as a pretty just standard free in midfield none of them obviously all of them just want to kind of pick passes but none of them are making runs or pushing their attack forward and then because of that, they so they literally had an eight in defence, basically, and then had Luke de Jong and Memphis Depay up front. And it was just weird. Like Luke de Jong, if you're playing Luke de Jong, you probably want to play with either wingers or wing-backs that are going to get forward and get crosses in. 
They didn't barely get any crosses in. The only time they ever got the ball into the box is when they maybe won a free kick that they could cross in. And you've also you've got Memphis Depay was the only runner going off Luke De Jong. So whenever Luke De Jong, obviously you bring him into play, and he he is good at holding the ball at Luke De Jong. He is good in the air. Like if you put crosses into the box, he will score goals. And the thing with Kuman is it was almost like a he'd just given up, and like he was just chucking out these players that he'd been that he's got and. He was, I don't know, I don't know what it was, but yeah, the ball every time would go into Luke Young, he'd hold it up, look around, there'd be no options, he'd, he'd get the ball, he'd have the three centre midfielders there, with his back to goals, he'd looking at these three centre midfielders, passing it into them, and the cycle would just go round and round, and you could literally see that there was, there was nothing was going to happen, unless Barca got lucky, unless Luke Dion got lucky. There was nothing, there was no way for them to influence the game. Memphis Depay was just the only runner like the, he was literally tasked with playing left wing right wing and attacking midfield it was just strange just really really strange and for me Ronald Koeman should be out now like they uh, they had a meet in the Barcelona like technical directors the board whatever one you, you want to call them the next day they had like an emergency meeting and they ascertained that they were going to go with Ronald Koeman and they were going to keep confidence in him but genuinely after watching yesterday he needs to go and I refuse to believe that you can't do anything with those players. And the facts are as well, you can. it doesn't matter if you're losing. People can understand if you're losing with that team and what he's been given. And no one's expecting them to, to rival Bayern Munich. But to not even put up a fight and to also just set up in a way that was never going to work. It was just it was just strange. Coutinho came on. They had... A 17 year old that came on, 17 year old, 17 year old that came on, and eight, and then two 18 year olds that came on who actually looked quite good. And when they actually went to a four at the back, they went to like a 4 2 3 1 with Coutinho on the left hand side, or no, Coutinho in the attacking midfield, and then this Balde who came on at left wing who was good as well. And they, they, that was when they actually started taking the game to Bayern Munich. But it's just so frustrating to watch because it wasn't even a case of Barca were really in the game and they were giving it or they maybe they weren't just just weren't good enough or what have you. They were just set up all wrong. So even they didn't even get the chance to do that. They didn't even get a chance to be crap. Like you you didn't have Luke De Jong didn't have the chance to be called inept at that level or, or not good enough because the way they set up, yeah, there was there was no hope. I don't know if you want to add anything on, on Barcelona Bayern. We have actually got a question from Instagram uh, about the rise of Musiala. Uh, he did look solid. Uh, what what do you think of Musiala from what you've seen? Or is there anything you'd like to add about Barcelona? Um, well, yeah, first of all, Barca, I think I totally agree with you when it comes to Koeman. I don't, I don't know what he's ever, he's ever achieved in his managerial career to one to warrant getting the Barcelona job in the first place but to the way he goes about his work at Barcelona I think it's it just just reeks of arrogance and just expectancy from him I think his, he said the other day didn't he that Barcelona have a future thanks to me something like that and strange. from uh, at the moment there's no sign of really any future I know you've got players like Pedri and you've got some you have got some good young players coming through from the La Masia and 
But that's always been the case at Barcelona, regardless of the manager. And them players will be there long after Ronald Koeman leaves. And they would have been there if Ronald Koeman had never come to Barcelona. And I just think, yeah, I feel like he's got an arrogance about him where he feels like, obviously a manager isn't more important than any player, but it almost feels like with him, that the players are almost doing him a favour. Whenever they're playing, that's what it felt with the young players. That's what it felt with those eighteen-year-olds, seventeen-year-olds coming on. They did him a favour because that was one of the reasons they've kept confidence. It's because of this focus on youth. Yeah, but just chucking a load of young players into the team is not anything to be lauded about. No, his man management skills have never have never been anything to be desired. I mean, like he's he's clearly you hear lots of stories and you hear stuff from Emerson who's just signed for Tottenham and Miralem Pjanic. Miralem Pjanic is a has been a world-class midfielder for over the past six, seven years, and he deserves better. And the way he spoke about Koeman at Barcelona was like he, he didn't speak to him, and he spoke. And when he did speak to him, he spoke down to him like he was a thirteen-year-old child. And it just feels like you've seen his management of the whole um Titi situation. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. When you just look through their squad, and it isn't like I've seen worse squads. Do you know what I mean? Like you can get yeah. something out of this team. In that midfield of De Jong, Pedri and Busquets, if you can't get them three players influencing the game, those three were passengers, mate. The whole game, they were passengers. Because yeah. the way they'd set up, they would just like, it, they had no options going forward. And why wouldn't you play just fill it, get Coutinho on? Do you know what I mean? He has to just come back yeah. from injury, but... I mean, I don't think they're playing him because they know if they play him for any more than 15 games, I think they've got to pay Liverpool another 30 million. <laughs> I forgot about that. I actually had forgot about that. It's just an absolute mess, that club. And it's sad because I've done, we've been, I don't know if you've been, but I've been around the Camp Nou, a little tour, and it's a special club, Barcelona. I've always, I know it's always a Barcelona or Real Madrid argument, but I've always been Barcelona. And we talk about, like last week we were talking about the reasons we, we love football. Barcelona, that 08 kind of the 09 kind of teams, that that was one, another one of the reasons why I fell in love with the game, and it is just sad because we need these teams, don't we? Yeah, and yeah, like you said, I I didn't even watch the game, and I can just I saw a couple of the goals, but but the way you describe it, you didn't even have to describe it before I even knew. I could just imagine picture what happened in that game, just seeing. That Barcelona midfield just get absolutely bulldozed through by Goretzka, Kimmich, and it's just no way out, mate. And and yeah, yeah, it was it. I've heard from a lot of people. It just seemed like a very naive setup from Koeman. But I think Koeman in general is just a pretty naive manager. But it was it was the lack of a plan. You, You obviously sometimes you look at a team, and even if they've played badly. You can see that there's a plan and there's like and it's a plan going forward. And I also put in that article that I wrote where attack is the best form of defence. And I know a lot of people say it, but it was so true in that case. Because by Barca had to push Bayern back. And once they did, that's when they alleviated the pressure and they managed to take the game to them. But because every time it was going to Barcelona's attackers, it was just coming straight back. Even if they weren't giving the ball away, they were just passing it straight back to their midfielders and starting the cycle again of these midfielders having no options. And Bayern just pushed them back. There was there was no plan. And the massive part of it, and 
was and the most worrying sign for Barca was that Bayern weren't that good. Like Lewandowski scored two, but he barely broke stride. Muller looks poor. Yeah, I heard from a lot of people that Bayern didn't even get out of first gear. Literally, Bar- like Bayern weren't good at all. That when these when their third goal went in, they're winning three nil at the new Camp. They're literally there, just like high fiving, not even celebrating. Like they clearly, and it could have been a lot worse for Barca as well because Bayern played play, like paid. They paid Barca a lot of respect and way more than they needed to. Because if they'd just gone after Barca, it could have been an embarrassing night for Barcelona football. <laughs> but yeah, I think my rant rant's over there. Um, I just feel sorry. Ronald, Ronald Koeman, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, honestly, from watching that 90 minutes, and I'll never say it about anything else, in football, I understand how hard of a job being a football manager is and there's so much to it. But on that night, if you'd put me in charge of that game, I am 100% certain that we I would have done a better job than Ronald Koeman. 100%. Like, I, I'm not even saying it to bait you. Like, I genuinely believe Football it. Football clubs out there. I genuinely if believe you're it. If you're listening. Barcelona, I know, because I, I know other clubs and whatever. I couldn't... But it was that it was just to, that was just to show how bad it was. You could have done yeah. a better job. Like, it was simple things of football and the lack of plan going forward. That was what did them. We'll move on now to to some Premier League chat. James Madison. Four games, zero goals, zero assists, zero big chances created. He's played a lot of football in that time as well. I think it was an average of 76 minutes a game. It's not like he's these are coming off the bench appearances. It's a make or break season for Madison. We all know that. Madison knows that better than anyone. What what have you assessed? How do you assess Madison at this point in his career? He's obviously, we, we regarded him in that band of attacking midfielders of the Mounts, Grealish and Foden. And they've all just, their career trajectory have gone where we expected. But James Madison, he seems to have hit a bit of a brick wall. What? How do you assess yeah. James Madison at this current stage? Um, Yeah, it, like you say, it, he has just hit sort of a... I don't know whether it's it's probably more of a mental wall. I'm not sure whether I don't know. It can't it can't I can't really see it being anything to do with the way Leicester set up or Rogers because Madison has performed before for Rogers and in that same system. So it can't really be down to that. And the te- the players he's playing with, it's not a massive change, is it? Over the last two or three years, it's there's still still the same core group of players that Madison plays with. Still the same strikers and wingers that he's he, he'll be feeding. So it's not like he's got to come to grips with new sort of new ways and new systems. Do you think the rumours, The obviously there were a lot of rumours surrounding Arsenal in the summer. It turned out there wasn't really any truth them, to them at all. There was no uh, concrete no. offers put in. Yeah. Do you think that might have had an impact on him? Possibly, but I don't, but I don't think Madison has really performed for... I, I've, I know full well he had games and spells last season where he did play well and he did score goals but I don't think he's hit a consistent run of form for a good 18 months or so now and it does seem like he has just sort of hit a wall where it's just sort of like a rut and he doesn't seem like he can really get out of it and I don't know what he needs I don't know what he actually needs to happen to him to for him to actually make that next step now because it was 
don't know. It's just it is weird. And from a Leicester's a weird fans' one. point of view, and I'm I obviously I actually disagree with you on. I do think there has been a system change that has impacted um, Madison's influence on the team. And I I've always said that I prefer him in the number eight role alongside of Tielemans and then obviously in front of Wilfred and Diddy. And recently he's been playing in this, obviously the number 10 role, which you would, stereotypically people would see as his main, his best position. But at the minute, it seems football's going through a bit of a period where the number 10 role's almost a bit of a void position. You're seeing players, teams not playing with a number 10. And you see City, they play Foden out on the wing. They play... De Bruyne either sitting in the number eight or you see him even as a as a false nine. You look at Chelsea, they don't play him out in the number 10, do they? They play him out on the wing. Even someone like, if you go to Arsenal, I mean, that's n- nothing to look at, but em- Emil Smith-Rowe doesn't tend to play in the traditional number 10 role. Obviously, yeah. teams now, we spoke about in the last podcast how teams are, are going for the more pivot of the, the double pivot of two midfielders. Yeah, and that's almost it. It just it makes life impossible for a number ten to to work. And Madison, obviously, we played against West Ham this season where he really struggled. Uh, and I had a look at a heat map the other day, and every time you see Madison, he drifts out to the left, and he his heat map. He's very very rarely picking the ball up in the hole because there isn't really a hole anymore. The the team seem to just there's no space for him to work. So if it was me. As a Leicester fan, if Rodgers is listening, um, I'd play him on the left side of a midfield three because he influences the game on the edge of play now, Madison. Like when we saw him in the Championship, and I think that the player we all thought Leicester were getting was he was almost like this. Don't even like, you know, just a bit like a he was a mercurial player that ran with the ball, the step overs and the long range shots and everything, and he can still do that, but. He's a, he's developed his game into a way that he does work best on the edge of the attack where he can pick out through balls or play through the lines with through one twos, etc. Um so personally that's what I'd do. And I think things to have distracted Madison. You can see playing football to him is so much more than just a profession. It's he he, he lives the game. He's very much like us and very much, you can just see the kid inside of him, you know, that just dreamt of being a Premier League football footballer. And you can see that the dreams he had were not exclusive to just football. He he does, the, the, things, the other things that go on around the game and the things that come with being a professional footballer clearly distract him. We saw him with that party last season, a, like a, few, a few days, a matter of days before a huge game against West Ham, which... Into actually, if you look at the points, ended up being why we missed out on Champions League football. Um, you see, there you just see this. He's obviously got a a big media presence, and he's a he's a marketable guy. And I understand that there's things going on in football nowadays, and there are distractions. But for me, he just has to get himself back on the straight and narrow. He has to just remember what he's there to do. And surely by comparing himself to other players now, the likes of Grealish and Mount and Madison and, and, and Foden, who are all his friends, it must, I bet it keeps him up at night. I bet you. Because he's not the, he's not living in this dream world that he was in before. Like, 
you could see before it was this dream and his career had gone on this perfect path where he'd gradually moved up the leagues got into the England squad and I know I'm I, I have no like I won't hesitate when I say it that Madison I've always understood that Madison probably will want to move on a team like Manchester United or something that's what he would have dreamt in his head was the next logical stage but he has just hit a yeah, it's not going to happen unless he, unless no. he uh, and sorts himself out. No, exactly. And but I hope he gets back to 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 the player he was. But obviously, we saw last night as well. Rogers dropping him uh, against Napoli. But like I was talking about, then this footballer that Madison is, and you see that he lives the game and he lives and breathes it. Those are the games that James Madison looks forward to. Harvey Barnes had a poor start to the season. He didn't get dropped yesterday. And he went out there and he rose to the to the occasion, which is what I'd expect. And that's what yeah. I thought we would have seen of Madison. I thought it was a yeah. weird I decision. Did actually, I did actually... Well, I was actually impressed with Madison when he came on last night, though. That nice little touch a little, he did. There was a little bit of skill, yeah, where he sort of dragged it back and took it round. Yeah, did you um, see that Samari Fabian. little... Little like spinny did. Oh, <laughs> yeah, Special no, baller. <laughs> was it? It was just like one of them bloody no look trap passes. Yeah, he was doing a few of them. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no! I like the look of Samari. I mean, we can stay on. Samari. No, he played well last night. I think now because obviously we've seen the rumours linking Telemans to United. Now, the more I look at Samari, the more I see that he has been brought in to replace Telemans when he eventually leaves. Just, just staying on that. What, what do you think? Would you, would you be happy with Tielemans at United? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, I don't. Obviously, Tielemans is a better player. Obviously, yeah, he's a better player than Fred McTominay. Them sort of players that we've got in that holding role, but he still isn't what we're looking for, is he? No. But if it was to be, I think Paul Pogba will end up signing a new contract. But I think if it was to be where Paul Pogba does leave in January or next summer, then Tielemans is probably something of a better player to replace him in that sort of left-sided midfield role. That'd be a brilliant replacement for Pogba. Um, what do you think Pogba will leave then? No, no, I don't. But you don't. You never know, do you? With with his agent and his uh, outside influences of his uh, noisy brothers and stuff like that. His noisy brothers. <laughs> Never seen they've got very big mouths, Pogba's brothers. For yeah, yeah, yeah. Seeing as, seeing as they've barely had any career themselves. <laughs> Just lastly, before we go on to the predictions for this week's Premier League games, obviously we've seen that Jurgen Klopp has been complaining about the spending from other teams. Now, I know you know more about this than me, so do you want to take the lead on that one? Um, yeah, well... Just, uh, just inform um, me what's happened. So Klopp's basically... There was... He's he's had a couple of moans beforehand over the summer about other teams spending. So basically, United, City, Chelsea. Um, but before the live before the Leeds game at the weekend, it was yeah. So he was basically asked a question. Um, whether he f- basically it was put to, it wasn't asked a question. It was put towards him basically that Liverpool hadn't spent enough money in the transfer window. They needed to improve their strength and depth. And he just came back with sort of calling it a circus, the money that United have spent, Liverpool have spent, no, sorry, City and Chelsea have spent, um, and saying that it's spectacular the way they can spend money and Liverpool can't do the same things. And 
yeah, he, well, he, that's what he called it—a circus. And with Liverpool, you though, because you don't—I I mean, I'm, I, I'm not up to date with Liverpool fans, but I don't hear much um, kind of grievances from the fans about their owners. But if you look at in terms of clubs with this, the amount of revenue that clubs make, I imagine Liverpool are probably the second team around, like behind United, surely in terms of fan base. And yeah, the revenue they must bring yeah. in from tickets, merchandise, etc. It must be. I'm not saying it's on United's level, but it can't be too far off. And the level of spending is pitiful. Yeah. Well. Yeah, I think there is there is a large section of Liverpool fans that are sort of FSG out, which are their owners, yeah. the American owners. But um, but it's just one of the things I think the saving grace of Liverpool is when you do go and win a Champions League and a Premier League it sort of papers over all the cracks and it overshadows because what what more is there to win you know in football than than them two prizes yeah um, but it can't be yeah. like that though can it football can't be like that you have to constantly evolve and not only this thing that Liverpool have of like oh we've got this if it ain't broke don't fix it or whatever it doesn't work because they're not going anywhere and their rivals will buy players and then will progress. So Liverpool might not be getting any worse, but they are going backwards because their rivals are getting better. And it's, it's a similar situation to United, really. I don't understand how Liverpool have got such little money to spend because they haven't lost money on transfers. They haven't spent too much. Um, they haven't had many deals that have gone wrong like United or Chelsea have where they end up losing money. They don't. They don't make ridiculous. I don't think they pay r- ridiculous wages, do they? It's it's a strange one, and I'm sure their revenue. We. I mean, I'd be interested to know. Actually, I'll have a look now. Right, so we've got Premier League clubs. This is 2018-19. Man United, 764 million in US US dollars. This is by this is via Statista. Uh, and then you got Man City in second with six hundred and fifty-five million, and then Liverpool second, third with six hundred and forty-nine million. So only a, like a hundred million less than United, and United spend ridiculous amounts. And you're still, yeah, United fans are, are still there's unrest with their owners. You'd, I thought there would be more vocal Liverpool fans about this, but maybe it's just that is what you're saying. Like when you win trophies, you can't argue. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe. Yeah. yeah like they may well have the money. Maybe it might just well be the case of the owners just don't want to spend. Yeah. Uh, actually, we will talk about one more thing. World Cup every two years. Yes or no? No. No. Yeah. That's a. There's no divided opinion on that. Arsene Wenger. I don't know what he's thinking. I've lost a lot of faith in Arsene Wenger. One of the mm. most trusted faces in football. He's. He's. One of the he's changed the face of football, and the way the way football is today is a large part because of Arsene Wenger. I love Arsene Wenger, always have, but I don't know what he's thinking here. And obviously, we've seen as well Busquets coming out. Who's a I I don't know if he's Spain captain, but he's a, a senior senior player in world football, and the players haven't been kind of haven't been spoke to about this. There seems to be a massive lack of transparency. Thing that just gets to me about all these decisions is we're at a point now where we're all we'd be naive to think 
that these decisions are being made for the benefit of football or the benefit of us as fans. It's just lining no, pockets. It is. It's just all money now. And the trust has just been completely been lost. And they just they don't learn either. They should just let football settle for a bit now. Let's just have mm. a couple seasons where we just get back to enjoying football and we can forget about all the nonsense with the Super Leagues, etc. They're always mm. just trying to bring in new things. And it's yeah, interesting as well because, sorry, I'll let you speak, but it's interesting because these decisions, we're here just enjoying our game and enjoying the sport that we love, just blissfully unaware. And these guys, they come in and tell us, this is what needs to happen. This is what needs to change. Like, this is what's wrong with the sport or whatever. What, we're, it's fine. The World Cup every four years is brilliant. What do you think the impacts would be? Do you think the two, every two years that would have an impact on the, the quality? Or do you think that... Yeah, well, I think it. I think for fans, it would have the, have the impact of... It would make it so much less special, the World Cup. So, waiting every four years, when that... Same as the Euros, when, that, when you've waited four years and it comes around... There's a reason why the country unites so much and comes together because it's not something that happens often. And if we're going to get into a stage where we're playing a World Cup every other summer, then it's going to lose that special feeling as well because the whole part of a World Cup is feeling like if you do get, if you know, when you are knocked out, it's such it hurts so much because you know you're not going to get another shot at it for another Absolutely. four years. And so, say if England get knocked out of a World Cup in 2020 2028 whatever it is and it's not going to not going to hurt that much because you know you know in less than four in less than uh, 24 months you're going to get a really exactly. another crack at it's it it's ridiculous and there was there was a and for the players as well this Busquets said it didn't he like the players they're like they're they they trying to kill the players like when they play they play enough games of football so like where do they think that they're going to fit all these games in obviously you've got Copper Americas you've got Euros you've got Gold I, Cups, yeah. you've got all these other. I saw the other day, and it was a it was a YouTuber, um, and they were talking about it and saying that they'd be happy if it was a World Cup every two years, and they scrapped the Euros and they scrapped all the other things. I mean, what a ridiculous thing to say! Doesn't even deserve deserve any airtime for that. No, <laughs> no, and that's why I'm not mentioning who it is. Yeah, like you need Euros, you need they need different honors to win. Do you know what yeah. I mean? And it Euros and they're more they're easier for they're easy more accessible for for teams that maybe won't make it into a World Cup to make it and you can't just have World Cups every year every two years. I think you've hit the nail on the head. Like I agree completely. It, it is what makes the World Cup so special. It's similar to the Olympics, where athletes and players they have to wait their turn. And yeah. they know, like, this is a huge opportunity. And, yeah, I'll just echo everything you just said. Uh, there was one element to it that I think we you could... I found some agreement with and could possibly be a, a good thing. Was that Arsene Wenger was also pro, um, proposing that there was more of a condensed qualification process. So all the qualification games would be playing one round where a player would go to their national team for around six weeks and they play all the qualification games in one. I, I, I actually think there's a lot you could get behind with that. And this 
I do think it must be hard for national team managers where you get these players for a couple of weeks, they may not be fully focused on it, they're, they're thinking about their club sides, etc. And it, it must it'd be nice for these players as well to get a little, it's almost like a little holiday, isn't it? Because it isn't the same, the national yeah. team. Yeah, it, it's, I do agree with you, actually. Yeah, even if it was two, two camps of two camps yeah. of three and a half weeks or something like that, where they could fit in, say, five games in each camp, because yeah. and I, and it's just gonna. I think it'd just benefit the game massively anyway. Even for keeping the World Cup every four years, and I think condensing qualifications just needs to be a necessity anyway. Because this this whole international break, end of end of August, in the middle of October, in the middle of November, it's just become. It's just so tedious. It is, and like we said, the song about making decisions for the fans. It, that would be a decision that you could see benefit for the fans because mm. at the minute they do seem just so pointless, don't they, the, the international breaks? I think the whole international system, and I know they tried to, they brought in the Nations League and stuff to offer a bit more like competitive games in between the major tournaments. But the whole qualification process is just, it's just a bit ridiculous, isn't it really? Yeah. It's got England playing against Andorra and San Marino and like this is all like, who wants to see that? And I understand for these countries, it's a it's a good day out, and it's a big it's a big game for them, and obviously gives them some revenue, etc. Maybe maybe there isn't a way around it, but it does seem like it, like you said, it's just tedious, and I don't think anyone looks forward to the international break. Should we let's let's round the episode off then? So basically, guys, what we're going to do is we're starting this Premier League predictions. And we'll try and fly through this this episode because we have run over here. But yeah, we're going to go through our predictions for each game for the Premier League match week five. And we're going to go one point if we get the, the the correct result and three points if you get the, the bang on the bang yeah. on right. So we'll start off. Newcastle leads eight o'clock kickoff on Friday. I'm going two one leads. Okay, um, Newcastle leads. I'm going two two. Wolves Wolves Brentford Saturday, twelve thirty kickoff. Do you want to go first this time? I'm taking it. All right. to go first. Um, I'm going to go for one one. I'm going to go. Wolves haven't got a win yet this season, have they? Yeah, they have. The, they? they got Watford one. The weekend, yeah. Yeah. They've actually, you know, Wolves have got the second highest expected goals outside of the top six. Leicester mm. got the the we've got like the the second lowest in the league. God, <laughs> really bad. Um, Rogers at the wheel. Brentford. Not good. <laughs> I'm just gonna go one nil Wolves here. Very conservative. Okay. Burnley Arsenal. Is it Burnley? Three o'clock kickoff. Um, it's at Burnley. Right. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go one one. Yeah. Apparently yeah, um, Arsenal. I'm gonna go for two nil Arsenal. Wow. Fair play. Arteta does need it. Liverpool versus Crystal Palace at Liverpool. I'm gonna go four nil Liverpool. I'm going to go for 
3-1 Liverpool. Okay. Man City, Southampton. Want to go first? Could be a bit of a... Um, I'm going to go for 2-0 to Manchester City. 2-0? I think I might go for more than that. Can I see Southampton scoring? I'm going to go... I'm going to go 5-0 City. <laughs> Norwich versus Watford. This is a tough one. I haven't mm. watched either side too much, to be fair. So Norwich versus Watford. I'm going to go 2-2. Two, two. All right. I'm actually going to go for Norwich's first win in the season. I'm going to go 1-0 Norwich. I can see that happening, to be fair. Aston Villa versus Everton at Aston Villa. I'm going to go for Everton. I was impressed by Everton the other night against Burnley. Yeah. The see just Rafa Benitez. Is, I'm happy for him. Like he's finally got a, a squad he can work with. He's a good manager, Rafa Benitez, and he's he's got to be so careful as well because as soon as if the results start going badly for him, the yeah. Everton fans could turn on him. Yeah. So Aston Villa, Everton. I haven't been too impressed with Villa this season. But I'm going to go 2 on Everton. I want to go 2 2. Uh, Brighton versus Leicester City. Coming off the back of the good result in the Europa League. Well, I say a good result. It was going to be a good result. Um, it was a good performance up until the end. Yeah. I'm going to go again 2 1 to the away side. 2 1 Leicester City. It's a very easy result to go with, but I'm not going to take many risks. I'm going to go 2 0. 2 0 to Leicester. West Ham versus Manchester United. This is a tough game for you. Yeah. Away from home, at the London Stadium. Do you want to go first on this one? Um, yeah. I'm going to go two one to United. Man United. Two one to United. <laughs> so I'm um, West Ham United versus Manchester United. I'm going to go for a cracker here. It's going to be three three. Good scoreline. Brilliant game. Yeah. Tottenham versus Chelsea, 4.30, Super Sunday. Last game of the weekend. What are you going for, West? Tottenham versus Chelsea. Um, I'm going to go for a 1-1 one, one draw. 1-1 one, one draw. It does have that written all over it, to be fair. But I am going to go with 3-1 to Chelsea. Further mm. stating their claim as the favourites this season. Westy, it's been a great episode, mate. Yeah, thoroughly enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah, very enjoyable. Felt like just a bit of a normal chat, really, that. Um, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Remember to like the podcast, follow the podcast, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you're feeling generous. Um, we'll see you next week. And we'll, we'll be getting the weekly shows going now, won't we? Yeah. Summer's coming to an end. People aren't going on any more holidays. Yeah, it's been a good episode. Got any more you'd like to add, Westy? Uh, no, just... Like I said, thoroughly enjoyed it and uh, same again next week. Brilliant, brilliant. Right, yeah, thanks for listening, guys. We'll catch you next week where we'll go through our predictions and we'll compare the scores from the opening week. Yeah, we'll catch you next week. Ciao.